Welcome to Lead with Confidence, the podcast where we will explore the journeys of leaders who inspire, empower, and believe in others. Join me to discover your self-confidence in love, life, and leadership. I'm Desiree Petrick, owner of Intentional Action, motivational speaker, and executive coach, and I can't wait to join your journey to learn what it means to lead with confidence. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. I'm excited today because we have an amazing guest. Her name is Amanda. I have done a goal setting course with Amanda, so that's kind of what I anticipated this episode to be, but it ended up being so much more. She is also a leadership coach and she speaks a lot on overcoming self-doubt, feeling less anxious, getting more done, and she has been named one of the 16 top coaches in the Washington area for 2023. So I know that she has a lot to share with you. Her approach is super unique in that as many hundreds of books that I've read, I don't even know that I've ever come across this aspect of leadership and self-awareness that she brings to the conversation. So please know that I hope you stick around to the end of the episode because not only does she give some amazing book recommendations, but her knowledge on the topic of self-awareness and leadership is just uh, fantastic. So first, I want to get us started out by my thoughts on the episode and where my head was really going as I analyzed what did we just talk about? What did I get from this conversation? What it came down to was something that I say in my keynotes. It's social intelligence, emotional intelligence, trust, all of these things culminate to one central theme, and that is self-awareness. It's our ability to recognize not only how we're coming across to our to other people, how our thought patterns and the things that we say to ourselves are often negative, how we can flip them into a positive, how we are showing up in situations, how we're showing up and staying consistent and productive and disciplined by ourselves. All of these things come down to this topic of self-awareness. So as I was thinking about self-awareness in the workplace and why it really is truly an individual's responsibility to put in the work to do the continuous learning that it would take to become more self-aware, it also needs to be something that employers and managers are also encouraging their employees to take part in because we are individuals. We are humans in the workplace. And the only way that we're going to continue to learn and grow together is by further individualizing ourselves, which Amanda and I will talk about a little bit. But I wanted to give you my thoughts on these different ways that we can become more self-aware. And the first one is very near and dear to my heart. I've talked a little bit about it on previous episodes, but it's when our fear is amplified. Fear can often come across as aggression, especially when we're not willing to admit to ourselves that we are scared. So it might look like you're micromanaging. You're not willing to delegate. You're snapping at people. It might look like you're unwilling to hear other people's ideas. It might look like you're unwilling to hear criticism, whether it's constructive or advice, because all you're looking for is a compliment of how well you are doing. And I think that most people wouldn't identify this as fear. And that's the point that I want to get across is when you get down to the root of why people are overly aggressive in the workplace, it might come down to their disc personality. They might be a high D on the disc personality, which would explain some of it. But I think that that those styles, they're amplified when we are scared. When we're scared, 
people are going to realize that we aren't worthy of being in the spot that we are. Our self-worth is tested when people are questioning if people aren't even questioning. We are questioning if people are concerned that we are not making the right decisions. It's our perception of what other people are thinking that really starts to amplify this fear. And so often that comes off as aggression. So as opposed to trying to overcome that or to eliminate our fear, because that's not the way it works, these thoughts are still in our head. And as Amanda will talk about later in the episode, it is a primal response to who we are as humans. But the best way to kind of work through this is to identify the fear, to figure out where the base of it is, figure out where it's coming from and why it's coming across in the way that it is. The more that we're willing to be transparent about our fear, the more we're willing to be transparent about the things that are making us nervous or scared or frustrated, that's what's going to start to help us come out of that amplified aggression, come out of that fear. And we're really going to get to start to know ourselves better so that we can approach things in the way that we would be proud to approach them. And ultimately, the responses from the people you're working with are going to be a lot more constructive. They're going to be a lot more effective if we are approaching people in a way that meets them in the middle. And that only comes from our ability to be self-aware and to become more attuned to other people's personalities and other people's way of doing things. The second way to become more aware is to seek feedback. John Acuff once said, are you asking for advice or a compliment? And as I was working with someone on DISC today, I said, it's okay if you're asking for a compliment. Sometimes we really do just need that boost. We are not giving each other the appreciation and the gratitude that we need sometimes in order to feel like we are doing our jobs and we're doing them well. So if what you really need is a pat on the back and someone to give you a compliment, it's okay to ask for that. But if what you really are asking for is advice, you can ask for it in a way that you know you're going to receive it best. So I don't always want to come back to DISC, but there is different ways that we like to receive these types of things. And if you are an aggressive, um, direct type D personality, you might not want that. You might not want someone to say, hey, you're doing a really good job. I appreciate you. You might just want them to go and get their work done versus an S personality who might really need that recognition with no advice, no constructive criticism attached to it, just really a you're doing a good job type of comment. The more that we get to know people, the more we're willing to ask them, how do you best receive advice? How do you want to be held accountable if you're not doing something that I feel like you should be? How do you want to be motivated? How do you want to make sure, how do you want me to make sure that you are doing everything that you need to do without overstepping the bounds of our relationship and your personality? So seek feedback, but make sure that you sit down and think, how do I want to be motivated? How do I want to be held accountable? And how am I going to have this conversation with the person who is leading me? And how am I going to have this conversation with the people that I'm leading so that we are all working together in the best way possible? It's important to understand that the people you're working with might not be receptive to this vulnerable and transparent way of connecting with one another. It's important to understand that not everyone is to this point yet where they're willing to see the benefits of getting to know each other better. They may still be in the, I want to leave work at work and home at home, but 
I think that we are getting to a place where we're starting to recognize that we are all human and we are all individuals and we need to start to understand that and dig into that. The third way to become more self-aware is to prioritize self-care. Amanda and I will talk about this a little bit. I get a little bit vulnerable in the way that my current physical health journey is going. But if you don't believe that your physical health affects you in a positive or negative way, I could give you about 1900 stories of why I know that it's true, specifically the fact that I injured my back six weeks ago and then was sick for almost two months after that between myself, my kids, and my husband. And my physical health got pushed to the back back burner. And I was starting to feel myself getting short with my kids. I started to feel myself pulling away from the things that I enjoyed doing. I found myself getting distracted from the things I enjoyed doing. I was having a hard time reading a book because my mind was wandering. And even just two weeks into finally not being sick and getting back into my physical health journey and eating the way that I always identify with being as a healthy person, I'm starting to feel that mental fog lift and I'm starting to feel like I'm digging back into who I am at my core and as a human. When we start to live a life that we don't feel confident with or comfortable with, if I'm sitting on the couch all the time, even though I say I'm a disciplined person who loves to work out, they don't align. And my self-awareness and my my feelings of knowing who I am at my core start to be questioned. And then I lose a little bit of that authenticity. I lose a little bit of how I describe myself and how I can really dig into who I am. So make sure that you're prioritizing self-care and that doesn't have to look the same way that it looks for me. It can look however you want it to, but sitting down again and describing what self-care looks to you and then making sure that you are prioritizing it, that's going to be huge in becoming more self-aware. Who do you want to be? How are you going to get there? How are you going to be held accountable? And John Maxwell would say that hope is not a strategy, but if you look at hope as identifying and then setting a goal and then figuring out what it looks like for you to stay motivated, for you to stay disciplined, for you to get to where you want to go and to stay excited about it, that is the process of hope. So how can you sit down and figure out what it would look like to be hope, not only hopeful, but reliant on the fact that you are going to do what you say you're going to do, which is a huge part of confidence. And then the other, um, the fourth piece to becoming more self-aware is aligning your actions with your values. And this has come into everything that we've already talked about, but just saying, I have worked with a team of 25 individuals one week I asked them to write down their values and a month later we were doing another exercise and I told them to write down their values. And then I re- then I told them that we've done this exercise before. Go back and look. Do your values align from one month to the other? And I think maybe two people out of the 25 had their values aligned from one time to the next. That's not saying that they are not true to their core self. That's not saying that they don't have all of those values. But sitting down and really defining that is going to help you to do things based on your values. It's going to be able to help you say yes to the things that matter and no to the things that don't. Amanda, um, towards the end of the interview, talks about how to say yes to the things that matter, ultimately to give yourself the best possible life and to dig into the things that you truly prioritize. Um, 
I actually wrote it down because her quote was pretty fantastic. So I, I encourage you to listen to that piece of the episode. But the fifth thing that I was going to talk about, I couldn't decide. So instead, I'm going to say that during this episode with Amanda, we talk about setting goals. We talk about developing your emotional intelligence. We talk a lot about perfectionism and procrastination. And we talk about how those things ultimately affect our ability to be self-aware and what that looks like in a leadership, in a team, in a corporate setting. So without further ado, I do want to introduce you to Amanda because this conversation is fantastic. I really do enjoy hearing the unique perspective that she has on leadership and the primal ways that our bodies respond and the um, the way that our past kind of dictates a little bit of our future, even though we have a lot of control over what that ultimately looks like. So Amanda is a certified professional leadership coach. She specializes in helping smart professionals with perfectionistic tendencies overcome self-doubt, feel less anxious, and get more done. Her clients' most common results include increased confidence at work, feeling more present at home, and committing to health and wellness routines. So her deep and intense conversational coaching method is rooted in the research base of cognitive behavioral psychology. So I want to introduce you to my friend, Amanda Doyle. I am here to bring you another discount, and this is on one of my favorite products. This is the Silk and Sonder journals. So every month you get sent a new journal. You can subscribe one month at a time, three months, or do the entire 12 months. I am in love with these journals. It's kind of the perfect mix between daily habits. There's places for food tracking. There's places for shopping lists, but also it provides spaces for journaling that aren't so long that you get overwhelmed. And there's a lot of get to know you better questions and all the things that I love. There's a different theme each month and you just, you can't go wrong with these journals and they are beautiful. So I'm giving you $10 off if you use the code that I give you. So if you go to DesireePetrick.com slash silk, S-I-L-K, I'll give you $10 off to try these out. Seriously, they're amazing. You're not going to want to miss out on this opportunity. So first off, Amanda, let's have you describe what does being a leadership coach look like for you? What does your day-to-day look like? Oh, sure. So um, very specific about my time and my schedule. So Mondays and Fridays, I am doing a mix of writing, of thinking, of working on course content, of doing my own professional development, of reading. And then Tuesday through Thursdays, it's pretty much coaching. I have a couple of group coaching programs. I have one-on-one clients. And so if I'm not, you know, on Zoom working with people, um, I'm taking a walk or refreshing my energy. So yeah, that's my day today. Awesome. And how does that, um, I know when we originally worked together, you were creating a goals workshop. Yeah. So how does that go into leadership. I'm actually really curious because I personally believe that to be better leaders, we need to further individualize ourselves. We need to get to know ourselves better, but I don't feel like that is a common thought yet um, from like corporate culture. So how are you, are you working with individuals? Are you working within teams? What is it that you're working with them on? Yeah. So really good question. So I think I share your philosophy that the place to start with leadership is your own self-awareness. 
because I think the more we know about what's going on with us internally, and what I mean by that is the ability to sort of separate external events from our internal thoughts about those events, to be able to identify identify how we are feeling moment to moment, to identify how those feelings are connected to what we're doing or not doing, right? Or what, why are we reacting a certain way or why are we procrastinating and not taking the action we want to take and connecting those and taking responsibility for results in our lives, right? That awareness and that consciousness, I think is the core of any leadership of self, of team, of family. And so when I think about goals, I think often it's easy to just set goals in terms of the result you want to create. And then maybe you include some milestones and actions that you would take to create those results. But the way I teach about goals is that actually, yeah, great. Name your results. They should be measurable. Name the actions. Obviously, there's no results without action. But we also need to identify how we need to be feeling to fuel those actions in a sustainable way and what we need to be believing about ourselves, about our ability to achieve the goal, to create those emotions somatically in our body to propel our action, right? So when I teach goals, it's actually in a framework of self-awareness. So it's not just an individual using grit and pressure to push forward a result, right? either for themselves or their team, right? Because then that leads to individual burnout. It leads to team burnout. And so when I teach goal setting, it's all about having a really complete awareness of why you're setting the goal in the first place and then a really sustainable way to achieve that goal, individual or team. Yeah. And I posted on Instagram today something about there's like an invisible line between not confident and confident. And somewhere in the middle is belief, understanding like saying I'm choosing to be this thing. And then sometimes almost setting the goals backwards to say, I've decided what I want to be. How am I going to get there? Yeah. So you said in earlier that you can increase influence at work for individuals by going through this coaching program. But mm-hmm. I'm really curious how that works. Um, mm-hmm. What does it look like for someone to increase their influence? And essentially, how are you saying to these managers, okay, I did what I said I was going to do. I made yeah. them a better team leader. I made them a better employee through self-awareness. Yeah. That's not typically what they're looking for. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, it's sort of interesting, right? Because there's also this um, – when when someone hires me or a coach in general, I think that they're looking to change something about their life. Like it's like pretty concrete, right? Like I want this result or I want to be able to do that. And um, at least in my program, um, that result comes uh, only after we've done a lot of like d- digging into why they don't have it already. Mm. Right. So any any result that a leader doesn't have in their life is because there's a core belief going on that's keeping them from having the feelings that would feel the actions that would create that result. So before we can just start uh, working toward a result, we need to understand why we don't have it already. So if a leader comes in my program, the first thing we're going to do 
is um, take a look at whatever change they want to make, right? Map out where they're headed and then say, okay, well, what are you believing about that right now? And how is that making you feel, right? And it's usually things like, I'm not good enough. It's not possible. I don't know how, right? Which leads to feelings like um, unworthiness, uh, confusion, uh, fear, which leads to actions or inactions like paralysis, uh, procrastination, rumination, right? Which leads to a result of not taking action. So if we can question those thoughts, you don't know how. Now, it's, is, that, is that really true? Right? Is that really true? Um, anyway, there's a, whole, there's a whole process there. But where, when, when a leader can actually realize that they are dead wrong about the thing two minutes ago they thought was for sure, for sure their problem, then they really start to give their brain something else to, um, it's like sunglasses, right? Like either you're wearing the, I don't know how sunglasses or the like, but maybe I do know how. And then once you put on that frame, if you will, your brain starts looking for evidence of how you do know how, right? And then you get your subconscious working for you. Okay. So as a leader, if you are trained in this process to not really take your team's uh, lack of belief in themselves at face value, once you can coach yourself, right, you can coach your team, right? So, so someone you're managing says, I just don't know how to do that. Okay. <laughs> well, before you go into an action plan, why don't you simply ask them, okay, what do you know how to do? Just ask, prompt them to ask their brain a better question. Or maybe your manager um, is your direct report is um, frustrated with a, a, a peer. And they're like, well, they shouldn't have done that. And you're like, okay, well, is that is that true? Why does it make sense that they did that? And then all of a sudden, you're coaching your direct report to access some compassion or some understanding or to shift their perspective. Not because one person's right and one person's wrong, but because that's how we collaborate to get things done and move forward. So all this is to say, when a leader knows how their brain works, how the human brain works, and are able to coach themselves, they will artfully and almost effortlessly model that behavior for their people and be able to coach people, uh, their own people, to do the same. I I had literally been writing the word fear when you brought up fear in that list yeah. of all the things. I was having a conversation with someone. They're like, why is my coworker doing it like this? Why is she sending me 15 emails about the same thing before I've had time to respond to the first yeah. one? And yeah. I said, sometimes when our fear is the first thing that we're feeling in the moment, yeah. some of those yeah. tendencies that we have to micromanage are amplified. Some of those tendencies – that we yeah. have to be overbearing or amplified. Yeah. So when you can ask, I said, ask the question, talk yeah. to them, you know, right. say, here's my boundaries. Here's what I would expect of you. How can we meet in the middle? And right. I think it's, it's kind of that same thing that you're saying of mm-hmm. have them answer the question mm-hmm. to fix the problem right. that they think that they're having. Right. Instead of focusing on the behavior Focus on, focus on, or at least get curious about what might be going on for them mentally and emotionally 
that's leading to that behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. So culture right now, uh, work culture specifically, I would argue to say still frowns upon that vulnerability and that yeah. authenticity in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, like it's something I'm trying to change, but what are your thoughts on that? Cause clearly what you're talking about is the ability to be mm-hmm. vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So how are we going to make this shift? You know, the way I think is a really powerful way to make this shift is to go to the science of it. This isn't some new age, fluffy, everybody needs to hug um, because it's just, um, I don't know, like, like this is effective, right? When you can identify the emotions in your body and pause instead of reacting from that emotion, you will show up from a better place. Whereas if you don't know that you're feeling afraid because you're thinking you're not going to do it right, right? You just think, oh, I procrastinated today. And it's like, okay, yeah, but it's because you were afraid because you were thinking you weren't going to do it right. Okay. If you have that self-awareness and the feeling is the trigger, by the way, the feeling is the thing that lets us know we're stuck. Then you can say to yourself instead, oh, I'm feeling afraid right now. Okay. Science tells us that emotions take between 30 and 90 seconds to process throughout the body. There's a simple process for processing my feelings. I can name it. I can say where it is in my body. I can describe what it feels like. We can neutralize it, right? It can be like kind of an analytical process, even though it's very somatic. And then you process the feeling and you can write the darn email or do whatever it was. So for me, the best way that we can sort of a really accessible way, I think is we can just remind everybody that this is science and it's super efficient to feel your feelings instead of shove them into your subconscious, right? Because they don't go away, by the way. And then they come out in all kinds of um, really inefficient actions, right? That take away from where the team is headed. So a very long-winded answer to your very short question is, I think we just remind people that this is a very effective tool for getting things done. And we're human. And we're human. We are a team made up of individuals. And I think sometimes that, that doesn't come across. I always say everyone's complaining that they have a work culture they don't like. Yeah. But you are part of that culture. You are an individual that makes up that culture. So how are you going to be the change? How are you going to ask the right questions and affect that change? Right, 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 Desiree. You're saying like as if the culture were some like third-party entity. Right. Yeah. That that was made up of something (laughs) other than the people who are there complaining about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. But I'm curious because you mentioned like perfectionism several Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. What, how do we overcome those perfectionistic tendencies? I myself made a joke on my Instagram story this morning. Like I do great under the pressure of procrastination, like waiting until the last Mm -hmm. minute. So Mm -hmm. I would argue to say that it was a little bit of that self-doubt of the thing that I had to do next and trying to put it off. Specifically, I had not exercised for a while because I hurt my back. Yeah. And I got back into an exercise routine and it was freaking hard. Yeah. It was hard. And so yeah, I've been yeah. procrastinating and putting it off because I know it's going to be hard. How yeah. do we overcome those 
things? How do we, those self-critical thought patterns, how do we overcome those? Yeah. Um, I love that question. Perfectionism is uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, A couple of things. The first thing I'd love to just normalize is that, like you said, we're human, which means we all have human brains, which means we all have this very primal part of our brain that is incredibly powerful. And it's going to offer us uh, thoughts meant to preserve the status quo. Hmm. And often, because it knows you're breathing and its job is to make sure you continue breathing, right? So things like promotions or putting yourself out there or doing a new workout routine, right? Those are uncertain. And this primal brain loves certainty. So it is going to offer you all kinds of negative thoughts in order to actually keep you safe, right? Its job is to conserve energy and avoid pain, right? And seek pleasure, right? So, so, so the first thing I want to say is your brain's going to offer you all kinds of crazy thoughts, critical, crazy, weird, right? Lazy. And that just means it's doing its job. Okay. So the first thing I'd offer is like, nothing's actually gone wrong when you have a thought that seems unhelpful. Hmm. Okay. So the second thing I'd offer is that with that frame, you have the power to simply not listen to it. Right. When, when, when we talk about like, Oh, see the thoughts and let them go. That's what that means. It's like, Oh yeah, my brain is having this thought. So when it comes to perfectionism, right. A lot of what the brain is going to do Here's how I think a lot of perfect, like when you're, when you're a paralyzed perfectionist, I think a lot of it is because you are thinking about how mean you are going to be to yourself when you have completed the task and it's not absolutely 100% meeting the expectation, right? So it's like not even the task itself. It's like your brain is afraid of how mean your own brain is going to be to you. <laughs> And when you realize that you actually just don't have to be mean to yourself, you don't have to believe those thought patterns, the thing that you're afraid of goes away. You can choose to be kind to yourself. You can choose to let those thoughts pass you by and just sort of notice they're a maladaptive coping mechanism, right? That was keeping you safe. And so to me, that gave me a lot of agency over my perfectionism. Because I was like, okay, I'm afraid of my inner mean girl, but I am my inner mean girl. I don't have to do that anymore, right? So it was sort of like partnering with my inner critic, if you will, instead of setting it up as an adversary. Yeah. My particular issue, so I'm curious on a coaching level what your thoughts are on this, is it's almost perfectionism in the sense like it's it doesn't even matter if I do it. Great. Um, the consistency is there. It's more like I tell myself I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm not going to make it harder than it has to be because the fact yeah. that I'm showing up is enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then you feel like you're not doing enough. So then you try and make it harder and then it's too hard and then you get down on yourself and it's like this totally. vicious cycle yeah. of different kinds of perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so one, one thing I use for that is to, I always say, um, a a lot of what I teach is, is how to put your higher brain, your prefrontal cortex in charge more of the time, right? Because we actually think it's in charge more of the time. But as I just said, it's really this primal brain that's driving the show. 
if you're not aware of what's going on. So when it comes to like your workout, for instance, I would make sure that you are planning at least 24 hours in advance exactly what good enough means Hmm. and really defining from your rational brain what is going to be good enough, right? And decide that that is good enough. Because what happens is we go like hit the workout and we haven't really defined what good enough is. And our primal brain is taking over, right? And it's like, got to do more, got to do more, got to do more. Because you were conditioned, right? Something in your childhood and how you were raised and how you were socialized, right? Like that is just a belief that you have that more and harder is better. Totally fine, by the way. It's just that you've decided that isn't working for you anymore. And so you need to make sure there's a different default in place because that inner voice is going to come up. So the way to do that is to plan what good enough means for you and make sure your plan is realistic. It's not a perfectionist fantasy because perfectionists love setting goals, like really, really perfect goals and making the perfect plan. And it feels so, 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 so good because we know we're never going to do it. If your plan is realistic, right, it should be incremental. It shouldn't be this all black and white thinking. And and perfectionists love the black and white thinking because it's so clean. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course I can do it. Right. So anyway, my advice is plan in advance, focus on incremental. And then when that voice comes up, you knew it was going to be there in the first place. I've already defined good enough. This is what we're doing today. This week's episode is brought to you by Natural Cycles, the first FDA cleared birth control app. It allows you to learn the unique pattern of your cycle with tailored updates and insights. Recently, it was updated to pair with your Apple Watch for effortless tracking. It's hormone-free, non-invasive, and effective. The app was also recently updated to allow your partner to log in and keep track to be a part of the process, either for birth control or planning of a pregnancy. By using my link, you will get 20% off of an annual subscription and a free thermometer. Go to DesireePetrick.com slash natural cycles or click on the link in the show notes. I'm actually not a journaler. I like to say that I am because I really <laughs> want to be. But yeah, 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 yeah. The consistent practice of journaling is not something in my wheelhouse. But yeah. I had thought to myself, because these shorter workouts have been harder, I'm like, maybe I can yeah. journal about the thought process going into each one afterwards. Sure. But I'm yeah. almost questioning if I shouldn't maybe yeah. do both, journal mm-hmm. prior to and then after. Yeah. And I – I always say that, you know, talking about leadership starts with yourself, your self awareness. Mm -hmm. And when I asked you, you know, what it is that you want to talk about, you said self awareness, the power of managing your mind, and then allowing Mm -hmm. the feelings to stop procrastinating to get more done. Yeah. Which organically just came up as the first three things that we talked about. Yeah. Funny. How funny. (laughs) In this conversation, because I was just reading it and I'm like, okay, well, we covered all of those. How funny. How funny. But I do want to ask because I made myself a note and I said, well, how does that play into a team? Because we're further individualizing ourselves so that we can grow together. Mm -hmm. But how does that play into a team when we say, I'm going to make myself the priority in this season so that I can come back Mm -hmm. and play stronger later? I can come back and be a better teammate later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, well, one note on your journaling. (laughs) Um, I... I'm a journaler, but I'm not like, um, what I, what I, what I love is I, I, I wanted to be a journaler, but I wasn't doing it. And it was because I was, had all these preconceived notions of what my journal had to be. 
like it had to have structure or I need to do the same thing every time or I need to recap my day or da da da. And then once I, I read um, uh, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, where she has this routine called Morning Pages. And the basic gist of it is just dump out whatever's in your brain for three pages every day. And that is a way to just clear out and get really clean. And from there, you can, you're kind of, you're doing what I call in my program, like a thought download. You're just getting all the thoughts mm -hmm. out of there. And so you're accessing, you're able to access your creativity, a lot of ideas and the, the, the sort of like um, real authentic you. Um, so for anyone who's struggling with journaling, like don't think of it as journaling, just dump your brain out for three pages every morning and just watch your life go crazy. Like watch, watch it unfold. It's sort of like so simple and easy to do is easy. Also easy not to do. Mm -hmm. um, so set a mini goal of like, I'm going to do this for five days. So anyway, but this is related to your question about, um, you know, taking the time to build your self-awareness and focus on yourself and, and how that helps the team. So the, the thing is, I, I, I believe that everyone is intrinsically um, whole, right? Like perfect. And, and we just like, when you think about like a baby being born, right? Like they're so life affirming, right? It's like a little baby. It's so pure. Right. Um, and then you start to live life and, and people tell you, you should be this and you should be that. And, and, you know, your, your parents' fears are put on you and society and, and, and you're taught things in school and religion, right? You have all these like thoughts and, and you're, you're as a child, you're not really deciding what you believe, right? You're sort of trusting the things around you. And then at some point you realize some of those beliefs actually aren't you. You just believed them because you were told to believe them, right? And then we do this process of like unbelieving things that aren't helpful to us. Mm. The thing is, underneath all of that is still that sort of pristine, authentic, beautiful soul that in my opinion is meant to create value in the world, right? In whatever unique way each person is made to create. And so by doing the work on yourself, what you're doing is just like removing all the junk on top of who you actually are mm. as a person, right? And when you get all that junk out of the way and all those beliefs that aren't serving you out of the way, you will lead from such a clean place, right? As a leader, you will no longer be defensive when someone gives you feedback, right? Because you'll either take it in because you find how you can grow from it, or if it's not relevant to you, you'll let it roll off you like water, right? You will no longer um, be afraid to be direct in performance reviews, right? Because you no longer are, you no longer believe the lie that you can control how other people think and feel, right? You give agency to the people you're speaking to. And so you can show up with compassion and love and boldness and be direct, right? And that serves the team. The other way it serves a team for everybody to be building their self-awareness with a common language, which is just how the brain works, right? Is that people can start working through problems with a common understanding that actually we're no longer blaming external circumstances or other people for our results, right? We're all taking responsibility for the fact that our thoughts create our feelings and they drive our actions. And so you'll ask a teammate, okay, I see what you're doing, but actually tell me a little bit about how you're thinking and feeling that led to that. 
right? So as a team, when a, when a group of people has this common language, they're able to just get rid of all the junk on top, right? And focus on actually solving the problem at hand. So mm -hmm. in my mind, it's like, if every individual person is working on themselves, the team aspect takes care of itself, honestly, because everyone's rowing in the same direction and it's working from clean emotions, mm -hmm. right? Well, and it's kind of like there's either the people who are really direct and know what they want and they seem like the bullies mm -hmm. or there's the people who are people pleasing because either it's in their nature to want mm -hmm. to please people or they're scared of being their authentic self. Yeah. And so if we can start to come together and understand each other as people, we can meet somewhere in the middle yeah. where we're not all scared to to say what we're thinking. We're not yes. scared to be who we are. Right. And like you said, you take all the junk off the top. It, you right. really get to connect better as individuals when you are showing up as your authentic self, specifically yeah. if you've been working on yourself yes. in your self-awareness. Yes. I love like – I, like Desiree, one of the first things I do with with many of my clients is because they're overwhelmed is we take a look at their calendar, right? And one mm. of the common actions they're taking is saying yes to meetings when they mean no, right? And when you can get underneath where that yes is coming from and sort of remove the belief that says you have to say yes or this person's going to feel a certain way, da, 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 da then you start saying no when you mean no. And when everybody on a team is saying yes when they mean yes and no when they mean no, when there's a conflict, you can get to the root of it so much quicker. But when everybody's confusing the issue and saying yes when they mean no, it just creates a whole other layer of work, right? So I love that you brought up the people-pleasing because um, when that kind of behavior stops, it's actually it's actually such a more like open communicative environment, even if people disagree, because at least you know what you're working with, mm -hmm. right? Versus a bunch of people pleasers that are not really saying what they mean, or they don't even know what they mean, right? Because they haven't been able to do that exploration to get in tune with what they want. Yeah. And people can feel that. Yeah. They can feel when you're yeah. not being honest. That's what creates the distrust within yes. teams right. is when people can feel that you're not saying what you think. Yeah. So it's almost a catch-22 because you're like, okay, if I say what I think, they're going to think I'm overbearing. They're going to think I'm controlling. They're going to mm -hmm. think I'm weak, whatever, insert mm -hmm. word here. But what they're really going to see when you do start to be honest and you do start to say what you think is, like you said, you get to the root of the problem. You mm -hmm. get to actually understand people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this shift because I do think it's coming. Yeah. I do think mm -hmm. that this vulnerability, authenticity, trust topic in the culture, mm -hmm. specifically within companies, is mm -hmm. coming. Yeah. It's just going to take people like you yeah. <laughs> to, to keep working through it. So yeah. um, I want to start to wrap up, but I want you to tell me a couple sentences about being, I think it was the top in the top 13 coaches in Washington. Uh, 16. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I only know <laughs> that because 16 is my lucky number. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was that process of getting into that? How did you get from where you started to where you are? For yeah. aspiring leader yeah. coaches like myself, how did you get there? Yeah. So I started my coaching business three and a half years ago. And, um, 
I've been pretty relentless in my um, own development. So mm. everything I learned in my certification, I didn't just learn it. I applied it to my life, right? And every client I had, um, I practiced. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of coaching, um, all different people, um, all different problems. And so there's the coaching aspect, which just takes time. It just takes time to become, I think, um, a coach who's able to notice the human thought patterns that are really common in us all and be able to bring those into different coaching sessions, right? Like that just took at bats. But then there's the aspect of building a business too, which is really deciding who you are and who you want to help. And I think one of the reasons I've been successful, not just in the coaching arena, but in the marketing arena is I just was willing to burn it all down. Like I would try something for six months and I'd be like, mm, this isn't really feeling like me. Like I would try something I read in a book or a coach suggested I do. And I'm like, that's not really me. And then I would try something else. And I'm like, that's not really me. Um, and so I think in terms of being identified as a, as a top coach, like what they're looking for is a mix of not just excellent coaching, um, but also the ability to reach the people that you want to help. And so I would say to any aspiring coach, because I, it's not easy. I don't think it was, it was not easy to build a coaching business, right? You're doing all the self-work and then you have to have the confidence to think you can help somebody else help themselves. And then you have the whole marketing, finding your voice thing. And so um, what I would say to, to any coach trying to make it is, and I heard this a million times my first couple years of business and I never really got it, but here I am saying it. It's <laughs> like, you know best. You know what's best for your business. Take in all the advice, but there is no copycatting. There is no silver bullet marketing. There's just you having a passion about helping people and figuring out how to do that really well and then figuring out how to talk about it so that other people who maybe don't know they have that challenge get excited and compelled by the idea that they could have a better life, right? And so it, it's so individual and you just have to find it for yourself. It's, mm -hmm. So that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would offer. Like don't copy someone else. Certainly try different things, get educated, whatever, but it's, it's your own special sauce that is compelling yeah. and helpful to people. And I think you just answered my next question, which was going to be, what does it mean to you to lead with confidence? And you just said it, you know, yeah. you, you're, you know best. Yeah. 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 That's absolutely it. I, I think leading with confidence comes from the core belief that I said, you know, a few moments ago that um, I really think we're all here to create something and I think it's something that only we can create. And I, I think that that belief has really helped me, right? Because if I didn't think I was doing something that only Amanda Doyle could create, um, I would probably keep copycatting. But this idea that I could have a conversation with someone and the two of us or the group of us would be creating 
a conversation that has never happened and will never ever again happen in terms of the words being used and the feelings being felt and the thoughts being thought like that to me is my artwork. And so I think when you can sort of turn whatever your profession is into sort of a creative outlet, even if that's coding or something, um, you know, more manual, um, I just think human beings are inspired by that. And that creates a real natural confidence. I'm so happy that I asked you to come on this podcast. I learned a lot. Um, and I hope hey, that everyone else did you. too. But in terms of someone else we can learn from, what is the the book that you recommend to people? And I know the answer because you recommended it to me when we worked <laughs> a couple months ago. Yeah. I'm glad to know you're being consistent and that that book has <laughs> rung so true to you. But why don't you tell yeah. the listeners, what is that book that you recommend? Yeah. So the book is called The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. And Martha Beck is you know, like one of the OGs of uh, life coaching, and she has a phenomenal personal story. But for me, this book, it wasn't just her personal journey. It's the way she tells it through this allegory. So it's like she's giving you coaching advice and taking you on a journey, but also doing it in this way that draws upon a literary masterpiece that makes it really engaging and in, in the, the the visuals I got, I listened to the book and read it as well. And it will just play with your imagination. It will feel, it's like a self-help book and a novel combined and a mm -hmm. memoir, a, a, a novel, a self-help book and a memoir combined. Um, so I recommend that to anyone. Um, and, and you'll just get a ton, just a ton out of it. It's one of those like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so highly recommend it. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, for joining us. And you speak so passionately and intelligently about what it is that you're coaching. And I think that that, that passion will ring true with anyone. So can you just tell us where can we find more about you? Where can we learn more if we're wanting to make sure that we're following along on your journey? Oh, sure. Well, thanks for asking. Well, my business is called Choose Better Thoughts. So my website is choosebetterthoughts.com. I'm on the socials, but I'm most active on LinkedIn. And so you can get there from my website or Amanda Huffman Doyle um, is my LinkedIn. And I would, I love to connect with anybody. Um, I do group coaching. I have a course. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I'm always open to all that, but honestly, just, um, I love to put value out through my posts. So reading those will get you a ton, a ton of value if you're all interested in what I'm talking about. Thank you. And I actually met you on LinkedIn, so I can attest yeah. to the value that you provide there. But I will make sure to link all of the books that you recommended and all of the things in the show notes. So um, don't worry about that, friends. You will be able to find Amanda if you're looking for her. <laughs> but uh, until next time, I hope you got a lot out of this conversation and lead with confidence. I want to thank you for joining me as we grow together and learn to lead with confidence. Do you know someone who would benefit from hearing today's message? I would love if you would share it with them and share to your Instagram stories. Tag me at Desiree Petrick and send me a message if there's a topic you want to have covered. You can also send me an email at leadwithconfidencepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, see you on the next episode of Lead with Confidence.